Okay, so let's read it together out loud. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Ready? Again. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. And so there it is. We are guided by these verses relative to spiritual warfare because we have the ability to be strong, not in our strength, but in God's mighty power. That's our default. Not the flesh, but the spirit. God's mighty power to put on his full armor, which we are ultimately going to end up with understanding completely what that armor armor is, how to use it, how to put it on, when to put it on, why to put it on, what God's mighty power it, it, with that armor on will do for us. It's life-changing. It's life-changing when we realize the seriousness of the spiritual battles that are going on. So Paul, in his letter to the church at Corinth, we looked at this last week. You don't have to turn there, but we looked at it last week in 2 Corinthians 10. He was reminding that us that although we walk in the flesh, which is what we were talking about, we walk in the flesh, we don't war in the flesh. Because as we... Why don't we war in the flesh? Why? It's a spiritual because it's a spiritual war. You don't have what it takes to, to fight the battle in the flesh. You can't fight the battle in the flesh. And he says that the weapons of the flesh won't work. Now, Scotty could beat me up in the flesh, but if there's a spiritual battle that is going on in my life, and I'm attempting to deal with that spiritual battle on my own, in my own strength, and try to understand it, try to figure it out, and try to deal with it, and try to overcome it, and try to conquer it, what's going to happen? It's going to linger on and on and on, and yet, look at your life. How many, I mean, guilty. How many times have we done that? Because we don't stop to consider that an issue that has come up is really rooted in spiritual warfare. Because the enemy is a master at masquerading around and making things look like it's not that big a deal when it really is. When it really is. I think that's part of the hard part is trying to discern what is actually a spiritual battle and what really isn't because you're always, everybody always tells you, oh, well, you give the devil too much credit. So you don't want to give the devil credit when it might actually be a spiritual battle and you, how do you and that is a that is a great question because isn't that is it that's the same issue isn't it as trying to discern what God's will is mm-hmm. when really the Bible has all is very clear however however one of the issues and we're going to look at that in some detail because if you don't know if you if you're not discerning it it's very challenging to You know, why am I going to put on the full armor of God? Quite frankly, I really don't need the armor of God for the stupid things that I did today. But but if you never take it off, if you are, Ephesians 6 says, 
that if we start by praying in the Spirit, and we're going to look at that very closely because I, last week I didn't ask the question. Do you know what that means, praying in the Spirit? See, we've got we to gotta deal with that. We've got to deal with that because praying is, is, the, is paramount. It's paramount to being able to put on the full armor. And we'll be looking at that over the next few weeks because it becomes very important. And now there's praying and then there's, as Ephesians says, praying in the Spirit. See, that freaks some people out. And yet it's just so natural in the spiritual realms because virtually everything that is going on around you is in the spiritual realms. <laughs> okay. I know I'm physical. Mike felt pretty physical when you smashed your finger, didn't you? And it was bleeding. That was very physical, right? Mm-hmm. Mike has an owie. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, we, we're, we're in this physical and we're in the world and virtually everything, we're going to see this tonight, virtually everything that is in the world, virtually, question me if you want to, virtually everything in the world is under the control of the enemy. Virtually? Is that a question? Virtually? (laughs) Is that a rhetorical question? (laughs) A question, virtually? Is, okay, is virtually everything in the world under the control of the evil one? No, I'd say believers aren't. You might not be under control, and you you can't control you. Okay. Is, uh... Okay, hold that thought, because we're going to go there. Because we're going to go there, because we have to go there. We have to go there. In that, in that scripture reference, uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, the second part of that says that, that uh, and here's an awesome reality, it says that the weapons of God are mighty, and that we are to bring every one of our thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And I was thinking about bringing our thoughts you said praying in the spirit is you should never take that off, right? You should never take the armor off, and so uh, and, and you're absolutely correct. If you couldn't take the and helmet of salvation off, you can't take the helmet of salvation off. But we're going to look at them very specifically, and it's going to get it's very interesting when we understand how God has provided all of the necessary weaponry we need in the spiritual realms to deal with the problems that are in the world. The world is full of problems. Except for I know one or two of you that have never had a problem in your entire life, ever. Right? <laughs> I heard a rumor that somebody in here has never had a problem. That's But when Paul in Corinthians said that we're supposed to we're supposed to bring every one of our thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I love that because the key is captivity and obedience. And if you take a look at what is he talking about? You see, there's a, that's a military term. He's talking about bringing your thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And so what is being captive? If your thoughts are to be brought into captivity to the <laughs> obedience of, of Jesus, what, what does that mean? What is it to be a captive? Well, a prisoner, okay. Well, you're limited to what you can do. Limited to what you can do, okay. Anything else? See, if we're to be a captive of Christ, 
to be obedient to him. I, I, I love this, this word because you know I like words. And so, and so captive in a military context is, of course, being held prisoner under the control or being bound by someone else. I mean, think of Jesus. This is a positive thing, by the way. You see, people spin this negatively, but being a captive to the obedience of Christ is a very positive thing as far as Paul is concerned because that's what helps us deal with the spiritual battles that are going on around us all the time. Being captive, our thoughts being captive to the obedience of Christ, being a prisoner of Christ, for Christ, to Christ, and being controlled by Christ, owned by Christ. You know, your life isn't your own, and your thoughts aren't even your own, but we mess that up. If you think of like a, like a, sh- a show tune or something, and you have a captive audience, all their attention is on the show. Yeah. So that's what that might mean also. Totally captive. Totally captive. And so if you think about it, when we understand that we are in the battle and that even our thoughts are to be held captive to the obedience of Christ. That gives me plenty to think about today. Maybe more than I'm capable of, frankly. But, but it's a beautiful thing because it helps me understand that it is Christ who I am bound to. And who is the one that has won the war? Well, who would we want to be bound to in any event? Well, you don't want to be bound to the other one. No, we certainly don't. (laughs) But, hang on to that thought too. Because are we? Yes. You are not not immune to the spiritual battle. And you you will be dealing with those until Jesus comes or you go home to be with Christ. Whichever comes first. That's the reality. So, if you're struggling with something, as we've talked about, most likely you really haven't considered what Satan's primary goal is, which is? To devour. Okay, 1 Peter 5 8. Back in the back, 1 Peter 5 8. Be self controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Looking for someone to devour. Who's the someone? Uh, <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll do a Richie. We'll, you know, because being a Richie, that's a verb now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Richie's a verb. All right. And so, yeah, it's it's us. Who does he want to devour? Everyone, but you got to personalize it. You see, because it's very personal. Satan is real, and he's real serious. And any Christian that takes him lightly is disobedient. Disobediently ignoring the truth of Scripture and what we are instructed to do biblically. So, is there any question in your mind about? The fact that you have an adversary that is real. Any question? Yeah, it's pretty clear. Virtually every believer understands that Satan is real. He is the adversary. That he is formidable. The question is, do you take it serious? Because I think most of us don't take it as serious as we ought. 
And we have to be very careful with the pendulum investment swing uh, because uh, you can turn on Christian television and you can see the guys that take it to the extreme. <laughs> pendulum has swung so far over there that all they're talking about is prophecy and, and you know, hell, fire, damnation. And, I mean, you, you name it. That's, what, that's, their whole, that's their whole thing, right? And, uh, I, you know, come on, time out. Slow down. Slow the train down. There's truth to what they're speaking. But they have focus to the point where, you know, they're, they're, it's all, they're almost fear-mongering. When the reality is that they don't teach on the victory that's already been had. Okay, and so we have to be careful with that. Because we now move on to basic biblical truth number four. We have to know and respect our enemy without fear. Because Ephesians 5.11, which is the next reference, we're, we're there in, in Ephesians a lot in this study. Ephesians 5.11 tells us what we must do relative to knowing and respecting our formidable enemy, but not fearing him. Ephesians 5.11. First one there gets to read it. What a privilege. have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose What are we supposed to do? Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, and then what? Expose them. Here we are on a Wednesday night in Ohio where we could be doing virtually anything that we want to, and here we are to bring exposure to the enemy because what? We're to have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. What is darkness? Hmm? Darkness is evil. Okay. What else? That's a good place to say. Okay, the devil is darkness. Okay, that's good. And the devil is... What? Yeah, absolutely. Opposite of God. First John. We're back to First John. I have a question. We, oh, go ahead. On my note on 511, it says believers expose the sins of other believers through church. <laughs> I'm reminded of that um, TV show from the 60s. And... Um, was it the little robot that said, Caution and Will Roger? Was yeah, it, what was it? Lost in space. Lost in space. Warning. Yeah. Well, I'm going to change it to caution. Okay, so that's an NIV study now? Okay. And so that's something that we could study, couldn't we? Because, you know, that, that's under the, under the same auspices of the issue that the church gets involved with relative, is, relative to the, the topic of, of being judgmental. Or, so are we, as Christians, are we supposed to be judgmental? Are we supposed to judge? We're supposed to judge other Christians in their behavior. Uh-huh. <laughs> we're not supposed to judge the world. That no. We're not supposed to read that, but we're uh-uh. supposed to judge every, because we have to hold, every, everybody has to hold Yeah, now we got to know what that means and how to do it. And so this is very similar, isn't it? But the context here is the fruitless deeds of darkness. And we need to identify the darkness and what it is that we're supposed to do to expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. And so in context, your NIV is suggesting sin within the church. 
I'm suggesting that in the context of this study in Ephesians about putting on the full armor of God, that we're going to take a look at what the fruitless deeds of darkness, that is the evil one, that is Satan himself, and expose him for who he is. That's the context that we'll use. And so with that, 1 John 1, 5 through 7 is very clear because remember when we studied 1 John, it's a book of contrasts. It's a book of contrasts. And so when we take a look at those three verses, somebody could read them if they would. If you're there. This This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. One more. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And what is the darkness? Quiet. You want to say it, Diana? <laughs> your, your lips are ready to move. <laughs> the darkness is anything against the light. Anything against the light. That's the contrast. Absolutely. So you're you're all right. There is no question about it. God is light. In Him is no darkness at all. The contrast is clear. God is light. Anything that is not is dark. You see, that's a powerful, powerful truth because we live in the world and there's things, there, there is things, boy, great English, Bill. There are things <laughs> that are going around us all the time. They're going on around us all the time. They're of darkness. Now, remember in First John, John was calling out those that were beginning to, to teach um, uh, they were Gnostics, and they were they were beginning to teach something that was completely contrary to what the apostles had taught from the beginning, that they knew from the very beginning. And then John was was he was you know John is the apostle of love, but I, I like it here in First John because he was calling them out, and it was pretty serious. He was saying that no, no, that's not what you that's not what you heard from the very beginning. It's like our discussion. What do you what do you read? It's, it's challenging to know what to read. You've got to be discerning. And, and um, this doesn't relate to what we were talking about today. But it's very clear that you can pick up books today that have just enough truth to get you interested. But it is filled with darkness. Filled with darkness. Any Christian bookstore you go to. Still with books like that. Challenging. The real challenging thing is, how do you then discern? Well, the devil is very busy. He uses people to write books all the time. He's got a big print shop. He's got a very big print shop. That's right. That's right. You know, my sister is a Scientologist, you know, and, and my, my niece is a, in the Sea Org in Scientology. And one of the things that they do is they have these front companies, and one of them is a publishing company. And uh, it's, it's owned by the church, quote-unquote. That's a very loosely of Scientology, but it's a huge business. Not only to print their own propaganda, but they contract out. They make money. I mean, it's a money-making machine. 
and they have and so my, my niece worked in the, in the in this printing business for a, for a time which is how I found out about it and uh, and so it's very interesting so you can make your own decision about light and darkness there but but there is darkness first John 2 the next chapter first John 2 7 and in your reference it says 2 7 B what's the B there you go. Thank you. Okay, so First John two seven b. You there? It says darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. This is John. Remember talking to the church. He was writing this letter about people that had infiltrated. What does that mean? Darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. If you understand the context of the letter of First John. You drop that into verse eight. Yeah, because I'm like, that's not what my family Okay, forget what I wrote. (laughs) Forget the reference. What I I really want to say is, darkness is passing. What does that mean? The darkness... What? Go ahead. Keep going. It's just going away. It's not going to be here. And what isn't going to be here anymore? What isn't going to be here anymore? Darkness. The darkness. And specifically, what what is the darkness that is passing that won't be here? What? Evil. Evil. There it is. So when we read, we see that proper interpretation is because you know darkness. Darkness is anything that isn't light, right? And so if it is something that is contrary to God, then it is darkness. If it is in the world, it's one thing. It is of the world it's something different because you're in the world I'm in the world but the Bible says we're not of this world because the darkness is what is of this world and that's passing it's temporary no matter what you think about how many years it's been since Jesus said I'm coming back see in his timeline it's short and by virtue of the eternity that we are going to live in the light, this is a very short time. See, that's good news. And he also says the true light is already shining. What does that mean? That's what John is talking about. Listen, the evil's going. The, the, The war is won. The true light is already shining. He was pointing them to Jesus. Okay, because there were people trying to pull them away from Jesus. Anybody have that happen? (laughs) Anybody read anything, see anything, watch anything, be exposed to anything? I mean, it hasn't happened to me since today. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Just open up the paper. (laughs) Seriously. Seriously. So yeah, watch Fox News. Turn on at 5 o'clock. Bill O'Reilly. I love O'Reilly, but watch the news. You want to see it? It's right there. It's in your face. It's in your face. And so then 1 John 2, 9 through 11 says this. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother. We remember this from our study in 1 John. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother uh, is still in the darkness. And if you have the NIV 2011 version as opposed to the 1994, it says anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister. 
Oh, there's that gender neutral piece again. It's still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Last week we looked at the scripture reference that said that what has the devil done to unbelievers? Blinded them. Pretty simple. Anybody you know and love that's not a that's not a believer? Yeah, we all got somebody like that, don't we? Been blinded by the evil one. That's where it comes from. No matter how morally wonderful they might be, they are spiritually blinded by the evil one. That's his modus operandi. And then, of course, John writes that. Because he then says in 1 John 2, 13b, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. You see, there's the good news that John is, is, is pursuing. He's telling them that Jesus is the light that is already here and already shining. Go to the light, not the darkness. Because you've already overcome the evil one. Everybody in this room has already overcome the evil one. Is that good news? Yes. Yes, that's, yeah, that's basic biblical truth number four. You've got to know and respect the enemy, but there's no reason for fear. None. Zippo. None. If there is fear in your life because of the evil one, you are not pursuing the light. Hmm. Seems kind of simple, doesn't it? Is it? Huh? Huh? Seems that way. Seems that way. Yeah. But we know that Satan's real. There's no question about that. And so, where did he come from? So, where do we see Satan, biblically speaking? Let's dive into Satan. We've got to know the enemy. So, where did he come from? When's the first place you see him in Scripture? We all know this. Huh? Genesis 3.1. Oh, you looked at the, you looked at the <laughs> reference, didn't you? <laughs> Well, we see him show up, and so where is where is uh, Satan in the Bible? Where do we see him? Sort of throughout, yeah. He's yeah. in the beginning, pretty much in the middle, and and right, right there in the end. And I think that's why he those two scripture references. Genesis three one. We know the story exceptionally well, don't we? And so Genesis three one says what? Anybody there? It's there. <laughs> it says now the serpent was more crafty than. Any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. Yeah, sure, go ahead. I like this part. There he is at the very beginning of Scripture. We see that in Genesis 3 1, there, there he is. But is that where he shows up? That's where he shows up. That's not where he came from. That's not where he came from. What about. First Chronicles, I'll just read this one. You know, turn there. First Chronicles twenty-one, one. It's kind of in the middle. It says that Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So there's the devil, Satan, inciting King David, right? David, David. This is David we're talking about. And who else? Satan. 
Mm-hmm. Right there in the middle. And then, of course, at the end, Revelation. Somebody's probably there. Betty, are you there? Mm-hmm. <coughs> Revelation 12, 9. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Mm-hmm. Beginning, <coughs> middle, end. How many references to Satan, the evil one, the devil? How many references in Scripture are there to to this being? Mm-hmm. At least three. <laughs> 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 hmm. Not well, on what basis do you say it's not a whole lot? Well, it's not like he's in every single chapter where he's described or talked about. I mean, he's, he's talked about throughout the Bible. And giving certain clues to what he is, but you don't have a total picture. Okay, so what we do is we know a little something about Satan throughout the entirety of Scripture. And we know that Jesus, Jesus himself used the name of Satan. He called Satan by name 25 times. Jesus did and we know that Satan is referred to by... How many names does he have, by the way? A lot. A lot. We're going to look at some of this tonight. <laughs> and you can see in the, in, on your references there, on your handout. Um, it's really important to understand the names of Satan because it gives us an idea of his character and his tactics. And when you, when you really look at his names, and you're going to be able to look back at some things that have happened in your life, maybe even recently... Just by virtue of the name that that is given to to the evil one, and you're gonna you're gonna see more clearly by understanding his names and where that name came from and what it means, what his tactics are in terms of how he wants to battle you personally, because it's personal. He does not like you. He just doesn't. And I think that's great. And I want him to hate me as much as possible. Because the more Satan is upset with me, the more I am walking in step with the Spirit. And that's my, that's my desire to do that and to glorify God in the process. He is really not liking any of you this very moment. And that, you see, is good in my view. In my view, that is good because of the obedience that is represented here. And anywhere else where anyone right now is into God's word or walking in the spirit or praying or anything else mm-hmm. in the spiritual realm. Amen? Just the fact that we have the Holy Spirit All the time. He's very upset with you because you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And who is, who is he at war with just as much or more than you? Excuse me? The Lord. Okay. Now, we're not going to go into the story, but we, we are going to make reference to it tonight because Jesus made reference to Satan 25 times very specifically. And we remember that in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, you remember the story about Jesus being tempted by, by uh, the devil. And the reason I, I, I put that reference is because, you see, that, that makes it very real. You see, because Jesus had a real encounter with this being that we call Satan or the devil. It's the real deal. Jesus was the real deal. Satan is the real deal. Satan was in a place where he believed that he could tempt Jesus 
with what? With what? Well, food. He was in the desert for 40 days fasting. I have no clue what that's like. He must have been very hungry. And he was fully man at that time. He had not eaten. Think about not eating 40 days. And then having somebody say, Hey, dude, you're God, man. Turn the stones into bread. And what did Jesus say? Well, he didn't say to get behind him. He, he told that to somebody else. But it was the same thing. It was the same idea. Yeah, he told him, Hey, man, doesn't live on bread alone. Because why? It is written. It is written. Man shall not live on bread alone. And and further on, he talks more about what, what did Satan want to give Jesus if he would just submit to him? Everything! <laughs> yeah, see, and that's a it's, a, it's a very interesting story, isn't it? Because if the point is not that Jesus already was the creator of the whole world. It was the fact that Jesus was fully man and fully God and was tempted just like every single one of us has been, is, and will be. And I don't know about you, but after 40 days, I'm not sure what I would do if there was the opportunity for me to turn a bread or a stone into a piece of bread. And I, and I think, I'm, I'm glad I have the example of Jesus, because my concern is that I might just do it. Oh, I went on a liquid diet for three weeks straight. Really? Yeah. And let me tell you, your stomach hurts like <laughs> every single night. You are so hungry, it hurts. All the time. My point in bringing this story up, and you can read it for yourself in Matthew, in Matthew 4, is that Jesus continually says, said it to Satan, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. And I'm telling you, if that isn't the best plug that we have for the authenticity and the inerrancy of, and the authority of Scripture, when anybody wants to talk to you about the fact that, no, they, you know... I, I, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Or I don't go to church because even though I, 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 I love Jesus, I'm a Christian, I, I've heard it all. I've heard it all. And yet Jesus says, it is written, it is written, it is written. And it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard, by way of commentary, to say that you are a follower of Jesus. And not, of course, we've said that. That's not an issue here. But, but, the, but the point is, is that that is a wonderful testimony because people have to be, they they have to. Our friends have to figure this out. Otherwise, they're in the darkness, according to scripture, not according to me. And and that's and that's heart wrenching for people that have not decided that this is the inherent with God. It's heart wrenching. And so, in terms of basic. Biblical truth number four, we have to know and respect our enemy. How do we know that he's real? It is written. Because it is written. That's it. It's as simple as that, Ernie. It is written. That's it. Jesus had an encounter and he kept saying, it is written. He responded, I love that. When somebody asks you a question... And you don't absolutely know the answer. You're not quite sure exactly how to tell them biblically. You know, it's like, I, I, I don't know where that verse is. Join that club. Uh, you can just say, it's written. It is written. The word of God. Where? I'm, 
here. Not sure right now. Yeah, it's in here. I can find it for you, but not right now. That's good enough. It is written. And that's the point. And so we have to start with where did he come from? And so let's look at Colossians 1.16. Because to know him, we must know where he came from. Where did he come from? Before you even look at Colossians 1.16, where did Satan come from? Excuse me? He was created. Pardon me? What two? Yes, he was created. Also. Two, T-O-O. Okay. Colossians 1.16. This doesn't even reference Satan. But what does it say? Is anybody there? For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, with their thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Any questions? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why is it pretty much covered? All things. It is written. And it says all things. How many is all? All. Yeah, all, all is pretty much all. Satan is a created being. And if you look at Matthew 25, 41, we know that he was created. But he was created what? He was created an angel. You know that because you've read Matthew twenty-five forty-one before, haven't you? Somebody read it. Matthew twenty-five forty-one. Then he will say to those on his left, "Depart from you, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels." The devil and his angels, insinuating, of course, that the devil is the leader of his angels. So so Matthew writes here that there is a group of these angels. This is after the fall, right? And so uh, so Satan is fallen. Okay? But wait a minute. Did I just say that? Satan is fallen? Is that right? Oh, we should probably have a look at that. But before we look at that, is did anybody go back to Ezekiel yet in the Old Testament? Is somebody there? Somebody read Ezekiel 28, the two verses, 14 and 15. Because if he was created and he was created an angel, then we have to ask ourselves, if we know anything about angels, we did a session on angels a few years ago for some of you were even there. And we know a little something about angels. There are different kinds of angels, isn't there? Okay. And so Ezekiel 28, 14 and 15 says, Someone? Okay. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery storm. So, you continue. And 15. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. So. Though you were widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. Close so, enough. Okay. So, in Ezekiel we see... Who, who's this talking about, by the way? The devil. The devil. It's pretty clear. Alright, Lucifer, Satan, the devil. One of his many names. And it says that he was anointed as a guardian cherub. 
Cool. What's a chair? Baby. Huh? Is it? Is that the dip- what is the biblical definition of a cherub? Not a cherub that's playing a harp that has wings that sits on a cloud. That's not what we're... Okay, and what else do we know about cherubs from the Bible? They were on the... Were they on the ark from the covenant? Well, okay. Stationed at the border of the garden after the expulsion of Adam and Eve. Ah, you, you have our commentary. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we let's let's back up for a second here. Satan was created. Satan was created an angel. According to Ezekiel chapter 28, he was created an angelic cherub. It now becomes pretty important to understand what a cherub is biblically. And we're not going to do a study on angels, but it's important to understand what a cherub is in creation. Because God created him an, an, an angelic cherub. So we need to know what a cherub is because we need to know where he came from. So They guard the throne. So Satan was a created being of God, angelically a cherub, which is the highest order of angelic beings. And he was the highest of the highest created order of angels whose original job it was to guard the glory of God. That is Satan. Lucifer. Lucifer. Wow. But when you think about who it is, think about this now. Because, you know, we've, we've been pretty wimpy about in the church today about the spiritual side of our life. And it's not good that we've been wimpy about it because we, we've, we've kind of pushed it over here in a corner because we just don't want to deal with it too much. But when you think about the fact that, but by, by the way, who was the creator? In the beginning, God created and he created Satan, Lucifer. And he created at the highest order. You see, there was no being that was created that, had, that was more beautiful, that had more power. was well, not power like God. But, but had more power, that had more authority. Smart. Wow. The greatest of all of God's created beings. This is the Satan. We're, we're getting to who, who Satan is. And because when we understand this, it gives us a better understanding of what in the heck is going on in the world. <coughs> really? And how does that affect me? And I don't mean just watching Fox News or CNN or whatever you're into. What I'm talking about is how it affects me personally. So what we have is this, is this cherub that was created. And, and I think we're starting to get the picture. This is very real. Okay, but but when he was originally created, it was good, wasn't it? Because what did God say after he had created everything? Not only was it good, it was real good. It was really good. 
You see, and so what happens here is that spiritual warfare led by Satan who fell is your personal enemy, by the way. Okay? Uh, it's not a game. This is serious stuff. It's really serious stuff. And when you consider that we try to deal this with this in our own default, our own strength, our own, we try to do this on our own, I hope you're getting the picture that this, this is not a game you can... It's, first of all, it's not a game. And, and and you can't win it that way anyway. You see, you're not fighting firm victory when your default position is to have a spiritual battle that's going on in your life and you're trying to deal with it on your in your own strength. And you know me. I like to just call it like it is. Every single one of us sitting in this room does that all the time. We'll take it. So just stop it. <laughs> sure, okay. But I'm sorry. No, really? Why do we do it? When we know what what's, who Satan is, what, how God, what he must have been thinking when this being was created, because this is the most powerful, beautiful, highest of order being ever created by God himself. You see, we've got to understand that we cannot fight this battle in our own power. Because if we we got to learn to completely rely on God's power, right? That's so easy to say, isn't it? It's so easy to say that we have to completely rely on God. We are totally dependent on Him. But you see, we need to come to terms with, if you're going to fight the battle that's going on around you, and it's going to change your life for the positive, which it will, I guarantee you that when you are done with this study and you understand spiritual warfare from a biblical point of view and you have a biblical worldview, it will change the way you view things that happen to you in the world. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. In the power of the Holy Spirit. It will change the way you view things and it will mitigate so many of the so much of the stuff that you try to deal with on your own that makes you crazy. And you worry about and makes you angry and all that stuff it will just change it will change I assure you but you've got to come to terms with how insufficient you are to deal with it you can't go to war against cannons with a slingshot <laughs> you well you can in the power of the Spirit because I know a story in the Bible that says you <laughs> But I get what you're saying because there is some there is some truth to that. But we have to deal with how how insufficient we are in our own strength to deal with these things. Because a couple of weeks ago when we did this survey here, everybody said, "Yeah, I don't, I'm not, I haven't put as much attention into that as probably I should have." And I probably don't even know how serious it really is. Am I, am I whole Christian walk? First one to raise my hand. Am I whole Christian walk? It's not something that I have, it's not been a focus. And my pendulum was swung all the way to the right. It wasn't in the middle. And I, I will tell you, it's way more in the middle today than it has ever been. And it's, it's, it's powerful. It's powerful in regards to just, just how I walk my walk every day. It's, 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 it's incredible. 
And so, um, what else do we know about Satan or Lucifer as he was originally known from Scripture? You can mention a couple of these things. Just off your top of your head. He's very smart. He's very smart. Very beautiful. Beautiful. What else was he created to be? And still is? He's God of this world. Deceiver. Deceiver. Crafty. Crafty. Blameless. Beautiful. Smart. Powerful. See, these are all adjectives that we can use to describe Satan. And in Ezekiel 28, again, 12b, he says, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Mm-hmm. A being that was perfect in beauty that was created by God. This is the Satan we're talking about. And what did he use that got him kicked out of heaven? Wow, that's a great question because we need to take a look at that. Because really, what else? Before, and we're going to get there in just literally two minutes. Because <laughs> in Jude 6, which is one of your next uh, scripture references... The, you know the huge book of Jude, right? The yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what chapter and what verse? No, never mind. <laughs> Just if you're paying attention. Well, did you did have you? A, did you have a verse that that talked about him being a, the highest cherub that we could read it all? What is it? Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter twenty-eight. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got those two. So okay. Just read it. And then, what else should you do? Cross-reference. Mm-hmm. Oh. Cross-reference <laughs> from one of those uh, Ezekiel verses? That's right. Okay. And it will take you on a wonderful journey through who this created, beautiful, powerful <laughs> being is. In the meantime, he also had a very... Because you just asked the question, an excellent question. Why did he fall? How did that happen? Why did that happen? When did that happen? Jude mm-hmm. chapter 6 says what? Well, I heard why, but I just wondered if you had verses. Mm-hmm. Well, let's look at Jude 6. What does it say? And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority. Wait. The angels said what? The angels who did not keep their positions. Okay, perfect. I always like to do this. So in my Bible, uh, I don't have it in this one because I, I don't write in this Bible. I write in my other one. But I like it. And the angels who did not keep their positions uh, of authority. Yeah, and I'd like to draw a line right there. What? Okay, I got angels, and they had positions, and they were authoritative, and they didn't keep them. First clue. Mm-hmm. We got a problem right here in River City. In Jude, Jude talks about the fact that there were angels that didn't keep their positions. Go ahead, of authority. Right. But, but, abandoned their own home. Stop. They what? Abandoned their own home. So, the angels that were created that have, that, that didn't keep their positions of authority, of which Satan was the prime one... He was the highest of the highest order of the angels that were created that uh, that did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their what? Yeah, their permanent dwelling place with God in the heavenly realms. They abandoned. Go ahead. These, those angels, he has kept in darkness. 
bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Boy, consequences. It's very, it's very interesting. You see, we, we, we see throughout Scripture, this isn't the only place, it's just the one I take because I, I happen to like this one, but this reference in Jude is talking about these angelic beings that were all created very good, that they chose not to keep their positions of authority, we know if we did a little bit more of a study, but they abandoned, they absolutely abandoned. Sound familiar? Sound like people, don't they? Sound a lot like people. They decided to abandon their dwelling place with God. The God that created them. They got mad and, and the, Yeah. <laughs> and, but there was a consequence to their actions. And so according to Ezekiel, you know, this, this Lucifer that we're talking about was created with all of these attributes. God gave him these wonderful, beautiful attributes. I mean, when you think about it on the surface, about when he was created and why he was created and how he was created and who he was created to be, it's a beautiful picture. And yet we're sitting in this room tonight talking about a spiritual battle that he's in control of. Hmm. So if this is who he was, what happened? What happened? What? Greed. Greed? Okay. That's a good start. What else? Pride? He thought it's so much of himself, he thought he should be the head of Okay, we got to turn to Isaiah 14, don't we? Because we have to look at the pride that filled Satan, Lucifer, which was... Actually, did you realize that pride starts with the letter I? Not the word pride. The problem of pride starts with I. It does. And so if we check out Satan's eyes, not his eyes, his <laughs> eyes, in Isaiah 14, starting in verse 13. Well, we're going to start in 13. Do I? I'm sorry. You know, such a... Well, you've got to stay with the program. You, gotta, you can't get out of the order. <laughs> well, we're going to start in Isaiah 14, chapter, or chapter 14, verse 13, where it says, You said in your heart, who, and, and obviously by virtue of the context of who we're talking about here, the you is who? Satan. Satan. So it says, Satan said, you said, Satan, in your heart, here's the first I, I will ascend to the heavens. Satan has an interest in occupying what? Heaven itself. Heaven. And wanting to be on equal foot, getting equal recognition to and of whom? His creator. God. Pride. I, he says. He says, I'm going to ascend to the heaven. These are declarations that Satan, after the fall, has made. Now, before you get down on Satan, too, too bad. And you realize now, of course, that he is a personal enemy of yours. So listen to what he's saying. But also put in parens your name. You see, because this is the position that each one of us was in before we were in Christ. See, it, it starts to get kind of humbling here. Because we, it's really easy to say, well, that's Satan. 
What do you think? I'm going to ascend to the heavens? Why would you say something like that? What have you said? What have I said that is similar? Out of pride. To make ourselves equal with God. You remember the video with the on the throne thing, you know? And I love that. I love that video because it's such a graphic, you know? Pushing him off all the time. Pushing God off the throne all the time. Yeah. That's the default. And we have to understand how how insufficient we are. And that's and as we look at the fall of Satan and who he is, we have to understand our insufficiency to deal with these things because we can't do it on our own. Because we fight from, not for the victory. And we can't do that on our own. And he says in 13, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. So, so Satan just wants to be there to occupy with God the heavenly realms and he wants he wants equal building, doesn't he? And then he says in his second eye, I will rise my throne above the stars of God. Arrogance and pride, you think? Yes. To, to the creator? I think stars in this context, by the way, represents all of God's creation. And when Satan says that I will rise my throne above the stars of God, everything that God has created, I will rise, he says. Pride. Capital I. I will rise. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. See, Satan wants you to pledge allegiance to him. That's what he wants. I recently read some pretty interesting stuff on, on Satanists. Church of Satan. If you got a hard stomach sometime, try that. I have no fear of Satan. That's scary, though, because there are people that are engaged in this activity and what they believe and what they think and what they say and what they worship and what they do will will certainly raise a hair on the back of your neck. The next eye that Satan uses, I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights of Mount what? The sacred mountain. <laughs> Depending on which, I just want to see if any of you can pronounce it. Depending on which translation you have, the, the mount is, is named. On the sacred mount, you see in the Old Testament, what was the mount of assembly? you remember what that represents? I will sit in throne on the mount of assembly. What was that mount? No, that's the mountain where God ruled from. So here's Satan saying, Declaring, It's a declaration. This is your personal enemy now that is saying, in front of God, his creator, I will sit in throne. On whose throne? Yours. Your throne, God. <laughs> you see, he wants the highest position of authority. The seriousness of it, pride, his fall, what he wants, what he's after, why he wants to find you, why he wants to devour you, why he wants to make your life miserable, why he wants to make you totally ineffective for the cause of Christ. It's because of all these eyes. And then ultimately, in the next eye in verse 14, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. And of course, clouds in Scripture, remember the clouds in the desert? What did the clouds represent? God's glory. God's glory. He says, 
very pridefully, I will ascend atop the glory of God. I mean, this is... <laughs> if it weren't written, it would be almost unbelievable. I mean, as a believer, can you say that? This is unbelievable. Of course it's believable. In an unbelievable kind of way, this is really... <coughs> It's, it's believable, unbelievably. I don't know how to put it into words. This is the Satan that is our personal enemy, that is this arrogant and prideful, when he said that he wants to make himself like the Most High, the last high. And there is Satan's ultimate goal. He wants to replace God in every way. That's his goal. He wants to replace God in every way. Now, before you get too down on Satan, we have to ask the question, where am I? Especially if, if, if there's unbelievers that we're dealing with. Because it wasn't that long ago, quite frankly. I remember it quite well. I mean, who was God before you were really a believer? Who's, still, who's in charge of your life too much? Yeah. Who has a whole bunch of similar eyes in their life? Who, me? <laughs> you see, it's a powerful comparison that we must deal with when we realize that the evil one is not only desirous of these eyes, he wants you to be desirous of it. And these are powerful, powerful spiritual realities when you think about the battles that you are engaged in. They are rooted in these five powerful I wills of Satan. I will, I will, I will. And I submit to you that as much as none of us in this room say it that emphatically, I will. I have never said I will. <laughs> you know, I will make myself like God. But I've done things and approached things in my in my everyday walking around life that made it probably look like I wanted to be God. Who am I? <laughs> I have fought battles thinking that I got this. I'm trying never to say that again. I mean, unless somebody's handing me a piece of wood off the back of a truck. I got this. But in the spiritual realms, never say I got this. You know why? Because we don't. We don't got this. We just don't. We don't. But we have to understand that we don't got it. We can't get it. We don't have what it takes to get it. And we can say it. The difference now over the next couple of weeks is is that we have to learn how to live it. That's the difference. Because, you see, that's where ultimate freedom comes from, is when we learn to live it. As opposed to just go to the default position when something is spiritually up, um, and we want to deal with it ourselves, we can't. We can't. We've got to get rid of the default, and we have to be. We have to reprogram spiritually. 
out of the flesh and into the spirit. So that's probably really not news to anybody here. I mean, every, we all know this, don't we? But how are we doing with it? That's the question. Because I'll tell you, if we're honest, like we have been the last couple of weeks as we've talked about being honest about how much time we think about these things and how much time we spend being the one that we want to be in control and we're in charge and we got this and I can take care of it and, oh, I don't want to bother you, God. Yes, it, yes, like he's... I don't know. You ever seen God's calendar? It's pretty clear. Because so he's, he's got your name on every single day, 24 hours a day. And, and, and yet we don't want to bother him. And yet... I think we spent very little time considering the reality of the spiritual battles that are going on in our lives. And we just, we, we, we blow it off. Oh, that's evil. Oh, those terrorists, or that murderer, or that rapist. And we push it out there. Because it's away from us. And yet it's not. It's not. that he has already given us, we 
don't know how to appropriate it to live a life that is that is free. And I mean, and I mean free, freedom in Christ, and one that we can claim the victory that is already ours. We don't think that way because we think first in the flesh, and we have to we have to go there because we'll end up next week with with looking at this fighting from victory and not for it because that's a wonderful cliche but what in the heck does that mean? I, it sounds good, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound good? Woo! I'm fighting from victory. That means I already won. What does that mean? How is that going to how are you going to appropriate that truth tomorrow when there's an attack? And somebody says something on Facebook about you <laughs> that's not true. How are you going to deal with that? I yeah, yeah huh? Because it happens all the time. Deep friend. <laughs> Deep friend. Don't read it. You can block it. That's the reality. That's the world that we live in. I was helping some. I had a wonderful experience today. I was. I've been helping somebody recently and it's been a privilege to do it and I met with somebody that that knows this person well and I was hammered. You can't let them do this and I'm going to make sure that that doesn't happen and I you got and I and I I got uh, the riot act was was read to me. Ah, I was just trying to be helpful. I mean, there's a battle that that went on. I just went to bring a message. I got hammered. And it was like, really? What do you do with that? It's a battle of Satan, not with that person. That's the situation, the circumstance. And you're free to choose how you're going to deal with it. So do you deal with that in the flesh? Because all of a sudden... I left there. I was, I was even with my wife. My wife participated in it, by the way, and, and <laughs> <laughs> she was like a deer in headlights, and she completely didn't understand what was going on. And so, and so, how are you going to deal with that? Well, if I didn't understand this, I wouldn't have known how to deal with it right there in the moment. But you see, it's not done yet, mm-hmm. because now my name is out there, and I, I can't be specific. I apologize for that, but. But because I, I'm about to be drugged through the mud here as all I wanted to do was help. And all of a sudden, I'm the bad guy. How do you deal with that? It is a spiritual battle. The root of this is spiritual. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, that I've been studying for weeks now. I was totally prepared. And not only that, I was able to thank God for the experience this afternoon because it gives me the opportunity to share with my wife. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you. You see the difference? (laughs) A battle. And thankful for it. So thank you, Lord. Wonderful things. Totally prepared. That's where we're going to end up. My life is different, I have to tell you. My life is different.
and glory be to God for the truth of his word. Now that I learned how to appropriate it. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Next week we'll dive into Satan's names. All nine of them that are here. Satan, the devil, Lucifer, Elizabeth, Elam, the evil one, the tempter, the prince of this world, the accuser. There are more. The morning star. Well, and the morning star is... Okay, so now you're going to make me... Now you're going to make me blow this. What is the morning star? And the morning star... I, I got to put you in. I can't... Okay. Isaiah fourteen twelve. When we take a look at Lucifer, which was which was Satan's original name, Lucifer in the Greek means bringer of the dawn, the morning star, or the shining one. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And he's called by many names, and we have to know what that means. And so next week we're going to take a look at these six names, nine names, I'm sorry, and we're going to see what they mean, where they came from, and the personal application to your life and mine by virtue of what the names mean and how you can see from his names what tactics are used. And I guarantee you, by the end of next Wednesday night, you're going to recognize when you're in a spiritual battle where it came from by virtue of just understanding these nine names. And I'm going to give you a handout as a reminder. Okay? Because it'll have a summary. Because it's fascinating when you see the name of Satan, what it means, and how it relates to his tactics as he is attempting to devour you and me. Because he hates what we do, that we want to honor and glorify God with our lives. He absolutely hates that. And I think that's awesome. I wouldn't have it any other way as we are totally prepared to deal with it. Because he can't touch us if we appropriate what God has already given us. Amen? Let's close. Lord, thank you, God, that you have been so real and so honest and so forthright with your word. And I pray, God, that you would help us to appropriate what we learn. And it's a process. And it's ongoing. And we even thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, God, how you have given us just enough to be equipped to deal with the battles that rage around us. And I pray as we as we walk out of this place tonight, that God, that you would send your angels, your angels of mercy, your angels of protection around each of us. Because we know the enemy is displeased. He's displeased with our everyday walking around life, Lord, because we are your disciples and we want to follow you. And Lord, that's okay. Because you have made provision. So protect us in those areas where we need protection. 
God, if there is something that you need to show someone visibly in the invisible world for that protection, we pray that you would do that. God, we pray that we would reset our default position from one of dealing with spiritual battles in the flesh to having you teach us and then us appropriate how to deal with fighting the spiritual battles in the spirit. And so we look forward to what you're going to teach us about what that looks like and how to do it so that we can claim the victory, we can live in that victory, Lord, and that we can just be free, free in Christ until you come. And that's our prayer tonight as we leave. Lord Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.